Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. so good once again always to see all of you. I love you and I'm grateful for each and every one of you. Today we're blessed to be just continuing in our series in the book of Galatians. Um, We're going through um, Galatians chapter 5 and chapter 6. Last week we began in chapter 5. We looked at 5, 1 through 12. And so we're just going to pick up today in verse 13. So if you could, let's get out our Bibles. Let's open up our Bibles and turn to Galatians Chapter 5, 13, we're going to go all the way to um, verse 15. So um, before we get into it, let's just kind of do the <clears throat> excuse me, briefest of reviews um, from last week. Last week we saw that the Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter, and he wrote it to this church in the region of Galatia, and this church um, had a really special place in the heart of Paul because he had helped found it and start this church church, and it had begun strong. They loved Jesus. They were growing with measurable success. They obeyed Jesus because of their love for Jesus. And then shortly after that, the apostle Paul, he was um, called by God to continue on his missionary journeys. And so he went to do that, starting other churches. Now, evidently what occurs is shortly after Paul leaves, some men come into the church some false brothers, some, some false teachers, and they start twisting the word of God. They start twisting what Paul had said, and they start adding to this gospel, the gospel. And they're like, Jesus, he's a good guy. He was an important guy, and he taught some helpful things, but he's not sufficient. What you need to do is add to. You need to help Jesus complete what he could not complete. And so it was this false gospel, and so as a result... And this church was thrown into turmoil. There's divisions in this church. There's factions in this church. And quite frankly, the church is just really messy. It's a messy church. Paul hears about this mess in this church, and he writes this letter, and he sends it to this church to address the false teachers, to address the false doctrine, and to address the mess, to address the mess in this church 2,000 years ago. But this will not come to a surprise, I don't think, to um, (laughs) any of you here. Um, Church can still be messy, right? The church can still be messy. Like, like the church didn't stop being messy 2,000 years ago. The church can still be messy. The church can be a messy place. And some of you would say, if I was to talk to you, you would say, you know, I grew up in a church that had some mess in it, and I've been to churches that were, were messy, and, and we would all say corporately, if you've been a part of that, we don't like it. Nobody here desires to be in a mess or a messy church. But here is what I want to say, and we're going to build on this today. 
Some messes are worth making. Some messes are worth making. I mean, some messes aren't worth making, but some messes are worth making. Um, for example, here's a, here's a mess worth making. Here's a mess worth making. Let's say um, you invite your friends over and your family over. You're going to have a dinner. Now, if you've ever done that, you know that um, things get really messy when you make a dinner for your friends and your family. But I would say that's a mess worth making, right? That's a mess worth making because you're going to have fellowship. You're going to have fun, and that's a mess worth making. Other times, messes aren't worth making. Um, maybe, I don't know how it is at your house, but from time to time, my kids get some ideals that maybe something like they want to um, make mud pies in the living room. That's not a mess worth making. That's not a mess worth making. But as I've already said, the church can be messy, and many of you will say, hey, it has been messy. I've been part of the mess, and I would say, but God thinks the church is a mess worth making. That's what I'm going to say. I'm going to begin with that. I'm actually going to end with that as well. But I want us to see this. The church is the blood-bought bride of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. And God has ordained or determined that it's through the church that the gospel and his glory is seen in heavenly places. Furthermore, it's in the church, which can be messy, that the people whom he saves, they gather to form a body. They are a body. Christ is the head. And God saves from different backgrounds. He saves from different cultures, socioeconomic backgrounds. And, and, and we come together, and we're in this body, and we serve in this body, and we worship in this body, and we're different. And sometimes we're going to rub together, and sometimes we're going to have different ag- agreements or thoughts on certain things. But in the end, God has ordained that this church, the bride of Christ... Going through it, you and I are made more like Christ. So God says, hey, this is a mess that's worth making. So the question that's been going on in my head is if I've been studying this text, and it's the text that we're going to work through today, is um, if the church can be messy, right? 2,000 years ago, Galatia, man, it got messy. And even today, the question is this, how do we work through the mess. How are we? How are we, church? How are we to work through the mess? The church in Galatia is going to give us, well, Paul speaking to the church in Galatia is going to address that, right? They've made a real mess of things. So Paul writes this letter, and Paul says, hey, listen, I'm going to clear this up theologically. I'm going to clear this up biblically, and I want you to see it practically, And so that's what we're going to do. In the text today, we are going to see four specific ways that we, as God's people, are to exercise our freedoms in Christ. And I'm going to say this. If we exercise our freedoms in Christ in this manner, these four ways, the church will be a lot less messy. We will navigate this church and every church in such a way that we are growing to be more like Christ. We are glorifying Christ here in our city and among the nations. We've got to exercise our freedoms in God-honoring ways. And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to do today as we get into this text. Because he just, he just went to war last week. He went to war. He goes, false teachers, false doctrine, went to war. Now he's going to say, addressing this mess. Four ways that we can exercise our Christ-bought freedoms 
to navigate the mess. We're just going to walk through this. I am telling you as I've studied it, this is incredibly practical. It's practical for me. It's practical for us as a church. So let's get into it. Let's get to work. Chapter 5, verse 13, the Apostle Paul, first thing he's going to say, exercise our freedom, he's going to say, use it to oppose the flesh. Oh, man, he's going to say that. Hey, hey, church, you want to exercise your freedom in such a way that this church is going to grow, that there's not going to be this big mess. He's going to say, we're going to have to oppose the flesh. He begins by making this transition statement. Here's the statement, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. I say it's a transition because if you were here last week, remember, he's been just hammering these false teachers. He goes so far as to say some of the most um, brutal language ever used by Paul. He says, hey, false teachers, cut them off. Cut them off. Now he does this transition. He reminds them, brothers, you're called to freedom. Notice he uses the word brothers. That's both male and females, members, body of the church, Christians. He's talking to us. He's talking to them, but he's addressing us today. You were called to freedom, right? He's reminding them of that. But you don't get to use your freedom however you think you, however you may feel you want to use your freedom. And he begins by addressing the flesh. He's like, Hey, guys, listen, listen. You you don't add to the gospel, but I'm telling you, you don't have a license to do what you want to do. So he says, brothers, and then he says this, and the rest of the verse he goes, only do not use your freedom. That's the freedom he just said we're called to. Look at this. As an opportunity for the flesh. Now, I would say, that's one of the tendencies I think many of us, many of us have. Man, the, the argument goes something like this. Um, well, we could even use Galatians. You get to Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20, um, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Theologically, that means all of my past sins have been forgiven. All of my present sins have been forgiven. And all of my future sins have been forgiven. If I have this freedom, if Christ has died for this freedom, well, then I can do. Why not be able to do everything that I want to do? And the truth is, there's people who walk in that. There's people who claim to be Christians who walk in that. But listen, it is an error to believe that. That's not what the Bible teaches. Well, let me, let me work it out this way. Like most errors, there's some partiality to the truth, okay? So it is true, if God has saved you, he has forgiven you of your past, your present, and your future Sins, he has. The scripture is really clear about that. But no, you do not have freedom to do whatever you might want to do, how you want to do it, when you want to do it. And while your flesh has been crucified, church, we've got to understand, and I think many of you understand this because you walk in it every day on this side of heaven. On this side of heaven, this flesh is not entirely gone. It's not. And I would be willing to bet every single one of you here today, before you even came into this church, 
that you've been at war in some way with your flesh. Until we receive our glorified body, we remain in this unredeemed flesh. Even though we have our sins forgiven, we've been crucified with Christ, we still have the sinful fallen bodies, we still inhabit a sinful falling world, and as a result, this flesh is constantly... You guys can look at me as an example, right? This flesh that you see right here is constantly looking for an opportunity to exercise its way over my redeemed self. It is. It is. It wages war. I would go so far to say this. If you are not actively fighting against, pushing away from, praying to God, seeking victory over it, if you're not actively doing that, I submit to you, I would bet you are actually um, giving in to it, yielding to it. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. The moment we stop resisting this unredeemed flesh, and Paul is saying, hey, church, 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 you want to stop the mess before it even starts? Do not give this flesh an opportunity because you give it an opportunity. You give it an opportunity, it will take full advantage of it. So I've been thinking on it. And by the way, I don't need the scripture actually to tell me that truth. I'm absolutely aware of it. I don't know, perhaps at some point when the Lord saved you, when he saved me, I entertained this ideal. I thought this ideal. I thought perhaps I would not have the same struggles I had before. But I'm telling you, the struggles were still there. I'll tell you this, though. I got a power that I didn't have prior to salvation. I've got a desire to push back. I've got a desire to flee. I've got a power from God, the Spirit, to be victorious over it. But anyway, thinking on this, practicality, the practicality. What are some ways that I have seen in the Bible teaches that we give our flesh an opportunity? Because, see, here's what I think. I, th I think that there's a lot of times that I actually give my flesh an opportunity and I'm unaware of it. So I just want to go through, I think, four or five different ways that I think we as a church, as a people, as the redeemed, historically give an opportunity for this flesh. And I'm just going to walk through them. They're in your notes. I hope it's helpful. This is what came to my mind. I have a list. One, I would say this. We provide opportunity for the flesh when we indulge an unforgiving spirit. Yeah. <laughs> the flesh loves that. The flesh loves that. The flesh loves when we indulge an unforgiving spirit. You know, we might just kind of coddle it, maybe kind of keep it, you know, cause, because cause we'll sit there and we'll say, well, I was offended. The flesh was offended. So I am going to kind of say, I have forgiven them, but I'm still just going to kind of hold on to it. It'll be my little pet and I'll just pet it. I'm telling you right now, you do that. You give the flesh an opportunity. I say repent of it, turn from it, Run from it. Second, here's another thing I thought upon. We provide opportunity for the flesh when we fail to overlook minor offenses. <laughs> I've seen this. I've seen this. This is what made me think about this. Um, the flesh, you may not know this. I, I think you might. The flesh is easily offended. 
it is easily offended. So much so, I'm going to give you an example. These are from Christians, all right? Different service, not this service, all right? Um, I have seen a Christian get offended at another Christian. And they're upset. Their flesh is offended. And I go up to them and I say, Roughly something like this. Why are you, what happened to make you so offended at this other individual? They will say, well, they really didn't do anything. It was a text message they sent. Oh, okay, 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 it gets better. What did they say in the text message? <laughs> well, they didn't really say much in the text message. It's the way they did the punctuation. And you laugh because you know it's true. Right? You know people have been offended because someone ended a, a text message with an exclamation point instead of a period. And they come up in the church and they're offended over this minor offense. They're like, hey, hey, Travis, here's the deal. I wrote this long text and they wrote back, sounds good, exclamation point. How am I to take that? I'll tell you how to take it. Look over it, man. <laughs> Look over it, man. Come on. We've got to overlook minor offenses. Church, if we do, I don't even know if I'd call that an offense. But here's what I'm saying, guys. We've got to overlook that. If you want to have a mess in the church, have a bunch of people going around offended by text messages. Another one is this. We provide an opportunity for the flesh when we engage in negative conversations. All right? You want to make a mess? Start engaging in negative conversations. All right? You do. By the way, the flesh loves it. The flesh loves that kind of stuff, but we can't do that. We need to, we need to, we need to turn from it. If you hear negative conversations, I would say engage and say, guys, this is negative or something like that. The least you can do, I would say, would be to turn away and walk away. Paul is saying, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Here's another one. I just thought of this one um, recently. It's not in your notes, but I'm going to tell you. We give an opportunity to the flesh when we do so. I've seen this. I've seen what we'll do. We'll do this. We'll take, we'll look at somebody's actions, and then in our head, we turn it into something negative. Does, does, that, does that make sense? We put a negative spin on someone else's actions. And it may be pure what they're doing. It may be okay what they're doing, but we're sitting there saying, no, nah, I really know why they're doing that. We put a negative spin on it. It's easy. Here's the reason why I thought about it. I've done it. I've done it. Um, I'm going to share this story with you. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I guess this is confession time. All right, thank you. Okay, here it goes. So... I'm in Africa, nine years, my wife and I. We um, come here to Silverdale, right, to Silverdale, a pastor at Silverdale. And we, we arrive here, and um, we need to um, get a house. I don't have a house to live in. By God's grace, um, we're blessed. Um, to, to, I want to live really close to the church, and I live maybe an, an eighth, a fourth of a mile away from the church. And so we, we, we were blessed to build this house, lovely house, love the house. You're all welcome to my house anytime. Text me first. Don't use exclamation points. <laughs> no, you're welcome over. 
But we built our house nine years ago. Okay, okay, got the house. Here's the house. Okay, great. Now, I got a buddy. Known him since college. He loves Jesus. He loves me. He loves my family. Good guy. Great guy. He encourages me. He's all about me. He's good. I love this man. All right. This man's coming through Chattanooga. He doesn't live here. He comes through Chattanooga. He comes to visit me. He wants to see my new house. I take him to my new house. Okay, guys, here's what goes on. I take him to my new house. He looks at my new house. We're having a conversation. Here's what the man says to me. That's always been good to me. He says this to me. He goes, Travis, this is a really nice starter house. And then he keeps talking. But that got all over me, man. All over me. I don't say nothing. I'm a polite individual. He leaves. I'm like, dude, I don't like this. So you know what I do? I take it to the Lord. I take it to the Lord. And I pray. And I pray. You know what the Lord really impressed upon me to think about? Travis, has that guy, since you've, ever, since you've known him, has he ever said any unkind word to you? No, he hasn't. Has he always been for you? Yes, he has. Travis, is it possible that you just took that the wrong way? <laughs> maybe. Maybe, maybe I did. Here's the one. Travis, is it possible that you do just have a really nice starter house? Maybe so, maybe so. Travis, let it go. Don't turn that into a negative. He's a great guy. And you know what? It's true. I had taken an innocent comment, turned it negative, and I just let it sit. And it, my flesh got a hold of that. And my flesh, I'm going to tell you right now, my flesh was prepared to end and terminate that friendship. Paul says, don't give the flesh an opportunity. Don't do it. Let's keep moving real quick. I got, these are things I've thought of. We provide opportunity for the flesh when we don't deal with our personal grievances. Don't let it fester. Deal with it directly. Final thing I have is we provide an opportunity for the flesh when we indulge in worldly media. Um, I speak about this as often as I can, but I am always amazed. It always amazes me what Christians will voluntarily let their eyes look upon, be it TV or a movie. I would say, this isn't the sermon, so I'm going to stop there. I'm going to say, you give the flesh all kinds of opportunity. When you view things you should not view, real quickly, some of you sitting there saying, he's talk- I know, he's talking about pornography. Sure, I am. But I'm also talking about that television you show that has brief nudity. Some guys come up to me, well, you know, I love the show and it's only brief nudity. I'm like, there ain't no such thing as brief sin, brother. And I'm telling you this. I get it we fail. I get it we make mistakes. But I am saying repent, turn. Ugh, do not give the flesh an opportunity. It will own you. Okay, let's move on. Verse 13. Second thing is, I hope that's practical. There's many more. Those are the ones I thought of, some of them. Um, uh, Verse 13, he says, use your freedom to serve one another. Oh, come on, Paul. You're getting personal here. Look, but through love, serve one another. So we're told here that Christians, we are to use our freedom. You can underline, circle that word serve. 
It is the Greek word duluo. It's a verb. I'm going to talk about that in one another in just a minute. But he says, who are we to render the service to? Who are, who are we in this church right now, in this service, who are you to render the service to? One another. That's us. This is this room. This room right here. We are to be rendering a service to one another. Now, this is where it gets absolutely kind of crazy, okay? It's mind-bending, okay? Look, this word, deluo, in the Greek, it means to be a slave to. Okay. That's kind of a head-scratcher, right? I mean, think about it. Paul just said, right? We looked at this last week. Don't be a slave. You are free. And now Paul is saying, but through love, use your freedom to be a slave to other believers. I am convinced of this. You will not have a messy church if we as individuals think to ourselves that we are slaves to the other people in our church, in the body. And that's what Paul is saying. Quick question, quick question. Do not answer this out loud. But I've thought about this this week. You think about this. When you came here today, when you came here today and you look around this room, did you say or do you say to yourself, I consider myself a slave to those in this room? I I don't think we do. I don't think I do. But Paul says, I am to use this freedom that Christ has given me and to exercise, to render a service, to become a duluo, a slave to the other members of this body. That's how we use our freedom. And that's what he's saying here. Practically. Here's what I thought about. I have this as well in your outline. These are a few ways that I think we can render service to one another. We can be deluo to one another. These are just a few. I'm going to walk through them. They help me. One, I think we serve one another through love when we pray for one another. Prayer is a rendered service. You want to, hey, you want to serve me? Okay, this is, <laughs> this is, anyway. you want to serve me? Pray for me. I covet your prayers. You want to serve the other men and women in this church, in this service? Pray for them. I know we have a prayer out here in the Silverdale room, I think now at 515. If you come early, you can be a part of that. But you can pray in your home. You can pray here. We must serve one another in love by praying for one another. Another thing I thought of is we serve one another through love when we bear one another's burdens. There's not a person in this church that does not have a burden to bear. Let me say it this way. If you are here today and you do not have any burdens to bear, please raise your hand because you're like, you know, a unicorn. I want to see what you look like, man. Man, we all got burdens. We got burdens. Who's going to help you bear those burdens? The world? The people at your work who don't love Jesus? No, we, Deluo, we bear one another's burdens. Here's another one. This is so practical, and, and I hope it helps you. We serve one another through love when we encourage one another with edifying words. Deal is, every one of you here today, 
this past week, I guarantee this, I, I don't know it to be absolute true, but I think it is. Every one of you have been beat up in some way by this world. It beats you down all the time. When we meet here, the family of God, we're here to love and encourage one another. Please, please make an effort to encourage other people. This is your church. This is your service. Please do not leave this place ever without saying encouraging words to other people. In addition, through the week, send text messages, uh, social media, direct messages, emails. Um, I'll tell you, I do this, and I want to, I'll encourage you to do this as well. Um, I try to encourage people all the time, but I have specifically put, set aside one day, a couple of hours in one day that I don't do anything except for try to encourage people either by text or by email or by phone call. I pray and I look and I'm like, who do I need to call? God, and, then, and I just look and, and I encourage people. And I guarantee you, nobody that I've ever encouraged ever said, you know, I did not need that. Nobody gonna say that. Guys, we got to encourage one another. Finally, I would say, this is a difficult one. We serve one another through love when we count others more significant than ourselves. Um, this flesh, I've already addressed it. But this flesh likes to think it is the most important thing. But if we are to deluo one another, we're to be slaves to one another, we've got to consider others more important. Now, once again, there's a whole lot of ways to serve one another. Wait a minute. I, somebody served us all tonight by bringing some dessert out there. Who did that? I just, who? Right there. Yes. Thank you for that service rendered. We are all enjoying it. Now, I'm sorry, I'm going to get off track. I went over there. What is it? What, what, what did you bring us? What was it? Dump cake. Okay, I saw that, and it looked good. But then I come in here, and I saw someone had some chocolate cake, too. I don't know, man. But that's a service rendered. Thank you. Thank you. But we need to encourage each other, and we need to eat all the food. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, okay? We are to deluo one another. Third thing, we're going to keep moving. He says, use your freedom to fulfill God's moral law. Verse 14, here's what he says. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. <laughs> okay, once again, theologically, this is a head scratcher, right? Because Paul has repeatedly said, when Christ saves you, well, you're no longer under the law. But now, Paul says, hey, you're no longer under the law, but get this. You've been set free, but through love, when you love one another, when you serve one another, now you are actually fulfilling the requirements of the law that you're no longer under. That's crazy. That's crazy. Like, I'm not under the law anymore. But by loving and serving one another, as I love myself, Paul is saying you actually fulfill the law. And here's the deal. God's nature never changes. It doesn't change. It's not his moral law. Let me just, just to clarify, just to build upon this, Jesus says the same thing, Matthew twenty two thirty six. 36. Here's what Jesus says. The greatest commandment in the law, okay, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. That is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says this, of these two commandments dependent or you fulfill 
the whole law and the prophets. All of it. All of it. All of it. God's people here today, God's people have always been called to obey him because they love him. Now, let's talk about this practically. I want to talk about this practically because I've been thinking about this and I, I've been reading, I love to read, I read some stuff, it got me to thinking, all right? If we are to love one another, right, as we love ourselves, right, it means something. It means we're going to have to know each other. It does. If you want to love someone beyond superficial love, right, you're going to have to get to know them, to know what their needs are, to know where their hurts are, to understand them, to serve them, to do them. So we're going to have to do this. You will not, we will not become closer accidentally. So I was reading this article in um, the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships. I first heard about it, then I Googled it, then I read it. But I, got, I, want, I, want, I, want, you, I want you to hear this, and then we're going to work it out in the church. Look, here's what these guys said. They did this study. This is in your notes. Take, 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 write, write this down. They say they found that on average it takes... 50 hours of our time with someone before you consider them a casual friend. That's what they said. I don't know. That's what they say. But we don't want to be casual friends. We want to be real friends. They say in this study that that takes 90 hours. 90 hours. I don't know. (laughs) I'd like to be a close friend. They go on to say that it takes 200 hours to become a close friend. 200 hours. I plug that into the church. I plug that in the church. This is what it means for us as a church. It means this. It means if you come to this service every single weekend, right? You sit in the same chair every single weekend, and the same person sits in front of you every single weekend, right? That, that's 52 hours. Okay, but Travis, you preach a long time. Okay, it's 75 hours. I don't know. Here's the deal, though. That means at best, at the end of a year, you are at best a casual friend with that person sitting in front of you. At best. And you know it's true. You've seen this before. I've seen this. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're walking down the road. you got a buddy with you, and your buddy goes to another church. And he waves to somebody, and they wave back to him. You ask your buddy, who is that? And they say, I don't know. They just go to my church, and they sit kind of close to me, right? How are you going to deluo that person? How are you going to serve them? We have got to know each other. We've got, it's work. You've got to spend life together. I have people, once again, nobody here other services, <laughs> but, 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 but they'll text me, and they'll say something like this. They'll say, hey, Travis, who is that person? Who is that person who, when you're preaching, sits on your left-hand side, second row? And I'm like, what campus, man? St. Elmo, okay, what hour? Nine o'clock, okay. Like, wait, wait, you're telling me. You're telling me. You know... What service this person attends. You know what time they attend that service. You know where they sit at in that service, but you ain't got no clue what their name is. You're like, yeah, that's correct. (laughs) I don't know, man. That's not even a casual friend. But I am telling you, church, this just 
compounds and presses. We practically, we must spend time together. We must eat meals together, not just with the people who are your same age or same interest. Listen, listen, listen. Okay, I've never done this before. I'm going to make a football reference. This means that um, those of you who like Tennessee need to eat dinner with those of you who like, I don't know, some other team. Okay, I don't even know there's other teams, right? Just don't eat. We've we got to get together. The guys who play golf, you've got to eat with the guys who like baseball or who hunt. I don't know. Hey, listen, I don't know how many vegans are here, but I'm telling you, vegans, get together with your, your, your hunting buddies in this church. Listen, we're all saved by the same God. We are family. We got to eat together, and that's going to be a fun meal. Just, just, just record that, man. We're going to put that on YouTube. Guys, we are different but we're saved by God and we're to serve one another. And I get it, we're not all the same. We all love Jesus and he saved us. Finally, verse 15, we use our freedom to build the church. Here's what he says. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. What happens? What happens to a church who takes their Christ-bought freedom and they do not exercise it in this way they devour one another instead of opposing the flesh instead of serving one another instead of loving one another they use their freedom to destroy one another and some of you would say man I grew up in that church and some of you might say I've been to that church and I would say I am sorry I am sorry, but I'm telling you, do not let that experience stop you from being a part of the church, loving the church, getting to know those in the church, and serving one another in the church. This is Paul's heartbeat. We're going to pick up in verse um, well, 16 next week. Church is messy. But some messes are worth making. Some messes are worth making. For freedom, Christ has set us free. This is what Paul argues. Do not use that freedom for legalism, adding to. Do not use that freedom for a license to do whatever you want. But do, we saw this today, use the freedom to oppose the flesh. Use that freedom to deluo one another, to be slaves to one another. Use that freedom to fulfill God's moral law, use that freedom to build the church. Guys, listen, if we do this, if we do this, we're not going to be a spick and span church. But I guarantee you this, we're not going to be messy. We won't be messy. Let's commit to this. We're commanded to it. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. 
And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.